American tycoon John Rockefeller is reputed to have said, good management consists in showing average people how to do the work of superior people. But perhaps we can look at it another way. Rather than divide people into classes such as average and superior, we might see that superior effort is latent within our people, and it's the manager's job to help draw out what was already there. Successful businesses are finding that good management consists in creating cultures where people want to do their best because they feel encouraged to be their best. Hello, I'm your host, Paul Teese, and on this episode of If Win, we discuss talent enablement with Shannon Miller, Jacob's Executive Vice President and the President of the company's Divergent Solutions Operating Unit. During her almost 25-year career at Jacob's, Shannon has had a rich and varied journey, starting as a process engineer and evolving into project management, sales, operations, and human resources leadership, spanning multiple industries including technology, resources, infrastructure, pharmaceutical, and consumer products, with assignments in the U.S., Europe, Australia, and Canada. Most recently, prior to her appointment as EVP and President of Divergent Solutions, Shannon was Jacob's Chief Growth Officer and Lead for Enterprise Risk Management. In the discussion that follows, Shannon shares some of the best practices she has witnessed throughout her career and the importance of trust in creating an effective company culture. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to talking with you about talent enablement, something you know quite a bit about. Actually, you've had a number of roles at Jacobs, uh, leadership roles, but then also in, uh, in our sales organization and in human resources. So you've got a very interesting and expansive viewpoint to be able to comment on this. So really looking forward to, to unpacking some of these questions with you. Yeah, me too, Paul. Thanks for having me on today. Absolutely. We'll kind of dive right in. And a lot of a lot of organizations, I think that, you know, this first question would be relevant for them. You know, they want to be able to get the most out of their employees, not just from a utilitarian aspect, but also to just really kind of win the hearts and minds of the populace and have people put their best effort forward. So this first question is, you know, what do you think are the most pressing obstacles for organizations to successfully enable their employee talent pool? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I guess I'll talk maybe a little bit about obstacles, but then also maybe what good looks like when we mm-hmm. think about enabling the talent pool. I think the biggest thing right now is just time. We are in a world that's moving faster every day and staying in front of certainly challenges that our customers are trying to solve, staying in front of dynamics around what employees are looking for as far as overall employee experience and different career paths. Uh, I've, been in, I've been in the professional world for nearly 25 years now, and, and I can tell you the pace every year quickens like in our own personal lives. And I think that's probably the biggest obstacle is staying, staying in front of the rate of change that we're we're experiencing, whether that's in our consumer lives or our professional lives. And so I guess with that kind of as a as sort of a backdrop or a foundation, I think what companies need to do to really successfully enable the talent pool, and like you talked about, it's not just about grinding it out and your job is this and go produce. Mm-hmm. We've really moved on from that. And it really gets to being 
clear on what the purpose and mission of an organization is and how you can help align our workforce, our employee talent pool around that. And, and I think when you can connect, and there's a ton of research around this, when you can connect and be very clear in the purpose and vision of your organization, and that's really what problems we're trying to solve, like the business of, of what we do is, is really critical. We've seen organizations that they state a very lofty purpose and vision, but it has nothing to do with the work that they actually do. So I think that's really critical. And then when our people can see how they align to that, it provides almost a timelessness around what we're trying to accomplish together. And so then when you layer on change around digital technologies or skills and capabilities that you need to have, you can keep up with that pace of change because you have this aligned purpose and foundation that you're working from. So I think that's really critical. Then along with that, I mean, it's just this fact that career paths are changing all the time. And so if we focus too much on what made us successful yesterday. And you mm -hmm. can do that from a business model perspective. You can do that from a role perspective. You can do that from a skills and capabilities perspective. That's That helps you inform decisions that you're gonna make um, going forward, but it doesn't predict future success, right? And that's like a used analogy all the time. But I think that's really important when we think about staying in front of employee talent pools. So, so the second thing I think is really important is just this active listening and engagement with our people. And I think there's an obstacle there, right? Companies are getting bigger, they're moving faster, they're changing their business models. And if you get out of sync with really active listening and empathetic listening of your people, I think you can become out of balance and that becomes an obstacle for you. So it can be a key to success as well, is just really being connected. And, and with that, I think it requires leaders to just be even more focused on helping see their people be successful versus just necessarily focusing on the numbers and operating purely from a financial point of view. Yeah, no, I, I think that's beautifully said. And I think you really hit it on in terms of time being the great, uh, the great friction point, because, you know, these engagement efforts and things like that, you know, if you really want to cultivate authenticity, you know, yeah. where employees are really bought in and they don't think you're just trotting out platitudes, but like you really mean what you say, it takes time, right, to cultivate that trust and that empathy and, the, you know, like you said, that active listening. And that takes a lot of discipline and that can be hard. You know, when quarter numbers are coming due or whatever, and, you, you know, there's all these kinds of uh, pressures we have that any company has, you know, in terms of performance, you know, but management really has to invest in time. And that, you know, again, I think that takes a lot of discipline. Yeah. I think on that, it kind of speaks to this requirement to be proactive, right? So it seems like when you wake up in the morning, you should be focusing on you know, all these other fires that might be closest to you, but that investment in your people and investment in listening really mm -hmm. keeps dividends, I think, long-term. So it's constantly pulling yourself, you know, forward in that respect. Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you this, you know, can you think of a time when you've seen or heard of culture efforts that backfired or otherwise failed to produce their intended effects? You know, why did that happen? And what do you think was the lesson there? So a couple ways, and maybe I'll, I'll try to kind of put it in a few different buckets. So it goes back to some of the things that we talked about. When your culture doesn't align with your purpose and your mission of what you're trying to do in the organization, you end up out of balance. I think the other part that is so important is really understanding the 
business of what you do and what problems you're trying to solve for your clients. At Jacobs, we're trying to solve some of the world's toughest and most complex problems. And if we're not really clear on the work that we do, the problems we're trying to solve for our customers, and really thinking about what type of culture is required to activate that, to enable us to do the work that we're doing and connect with with not only our customers, our shareholders, if you're a publicly traded company, or even you know, even um, some of some of these other governance mechanisms, but then also how you attract talent. So I think that's really, really critical to drive that clarity. I think the second part is we often talk about you have a big culture for an organization, but you also have micro climates that exist in an organization. So we're a very broad company, and mm-hmm. if you think about it. The climates can be different based on which geography you work in. So a culture climate is going to be a little bit different in Poland or India or Australia than it is necessarily in the U.S. And I'm sitting in the U.S. here today. Culture climates look differently in the southeast than they do the west or the northwest and et cetera. So I think you have different climates that align to a broader culture. And I think you just have to be aware of that. You can't drive an edict that it's going to be the same in every corner of the world. Industries and market sectors naturally have different climates. I grew up working in the consumer products business, and then I did some work in the pharmaceutical business and oil and gas. And if you just think about the different climates of culture that exist within those industries, that Mm -hmm. also has an impact. So I think it's appreciating that as an organization, you want to have an overarching culture that embraces all of these little climates that you might have going on um, Mm -hmm. around the organization and making sure that that gets aligned. So I think that's important to appreciate that. We've learned over the course of time, especially as we've integrated or acquired companies, that can't drive a one-size-fits-all approach. So you've got to take it up to that higher level and then embrace those individual climates that you're trying to create within your teams. I think the second part is you constantly have to be evaluating it. And so culture changes. <laughs> um, it goes back to the time discussion that we just had is being able to reflect on it and say, hey, look, like we were headed in this direction. This was helping drive these results. Here's actually what maybe the unintended consequences or the positive outcomes that we saw out of it. And being able to, I always use the term, like kind of dial the volume up, dial the volume down on different things mm-hmm. that you do, I think is really important. And then lastly, I guess, being cognizant that culture manifests and shows up through a variety of different things. And we we tend to talk about it at Jacobs as two big buckets, the engagers of culture and the enablers of culture. And the, the culture is sort of defined in those two realms. So what are some examples? Um, enablers are things like our data and technology that we use. So when you surface numbers about you know, how, how much we're engaging with our workforce and our listening and feedback mechanisms, that helps enable a vibrant culture. Engagers are things like symbols that we see, right? How a CEO shows up in a town hall, or maybe mm-hmm. lack thereof. <laughs> um, the leadership shadow that our leadership teams cast across the organization, mm-hmm. those are ways that we engage with people, right? So either maybe you have a very transparent organization where we're communicating our results, we're being very sort of open and transparent around how we're performing as an organization that drives engagement across across the business. Things like symbols, how our office spaces operate are really critical ways that people engage. Are we a place where when you come to the office, it's a great meeting place and people are coming together to co-create and solve problems? You can clearly see how that drives engagement in a culture. And so I think thinking about the various 
sort of subtle things in those two categories are, is really important when you're thinking about maybe transforming or solidifying or continuing to perpetuate, um, you know, a, a culture that you're trying to create in an organization. Mm. I love that idea of, of climate too, you know, thinking about it in terms of climates, because it's not, you know, you say geography, you, you certainly you think about certain countries and whatnot, but there's so much more that goes into it. And climate is this kind of almost umbrella term that captures like the esprit de corps of the people on the ground, right? I really, I really like that a lot. Yeah. I, I also think about it, the analogy of like when you go to a wine growing region, right? Grapes that grow high up on the hill and they get a lot more sunlight. It's, you know, is it, you know, the way the grapes taste and express themselves in a bottle of wine is different than those that maybe have a little bit more shade in the afternoon. And, but it all makes great wine, right? And you have to appreciate, you know, what you can get from the different parts of a valley of how you produce maybe an overall product. Anyway, no. maybe that was too esoteric of an analogy, Paul. No, no, I love it. I love it. You know, and because I mean, there's, there's not just one, one wine fits all. Right. So, yeah. so Shannon, let me ask you, what are some of the best practices you've seen throughout your career of a leader who was able to bring out the best in their teams? Yeah. So I think there's, there's a few things there. So one it's, it's how you show up every single day and being consistent in how you show up is really critical. So we can all think of times that we've worked with leaders where you might think, how is Shannon showing up today? Are we going to get like the really excited, like happy, everything's wonderful, um, Shannon? Or are we going to get the, oh, she's not in a good mood and, and now I have to temper or adjust how I operate that's not to say that you don't show any emotion because you have to, right? And that you're not your authentic self. You absolutely have to be. But it's about just sort of leveling that out. When I look back at my career, we can all think of those stories that maybe end up in a Dilbert cartoon or something around a very sort of, you know, leader that's operating in the highs and the lows. But if you just think about those leaders that you know that show up consistently every day, they're their authentic self. You get to know them. Mm-hmm. You, want, you do understand when, you know, they're feeling like things are going great or maybe we need to think about things that that maybe we need to be working on, but mm-hmm. it's amazing how that can stabilize an organization. It takes out the highs and lows of the noise in the organization and drives consistency. I think that's really critical. I also think when you think about how you show up as a leader, it drives transparency and conversation. It mm-hmm. just, it, it drives sort of just a consistency in how we're, how we're operating. So I think there's a, you know, it, they go sort of hand in hand together. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I think is important is really the number one job of a leader is to ensure the success of their team. Mm -hmm. And when you show up with your goal to make the people that work with you on your team successful, and I think this is also critical to working in a team, that you're there for everybody else's success, that aggregates to success in your role and what you're trying to accomplish. It also always puts you in the shoes of not being self-serving, that you're really serving the team. And then of course the broader organization. And like, when I think about what I'm most proud about as a leader in the past, it's really around seeing people get promoted or being successful or moving on to another great job or being able to, um, to kind of live out the pur- their purpose and in, in their role. And I think that's just really important. And last but not least, I guess I'd say is this element of trust is super, super critical. Yeah. And that comes in a lot of ways being transparent and how and why you make certain decisions, admitting when, you know, we tried that, it didn't work. Let's do something different. And people feeling okay to speak up and help co-create where you're going to go going forward is really important. So really fostering trust and trust is one of these things that just doesn't happen over overnight. 
is really important too. So I think, I don't know, just a few things that I think are really important as a leader. No, and I'm glad you you honed in on trust because like when you were talking about like the importance of a leader showing up kind of in a consistent manner, right? You know, so that people on the team understand they have a sense of what they're getting and it's not, is it going to be happy Shannon or dour Shannon, but it's like Shannon, you know, it all comes back to creating an environment of trust and we don't want to be like hokey about it or Pollyannish, but it's like, it really is critical. It's like a, when there really is that authentic trust, when teams can trust you and you can trust them, you know, that so much more can get done. Right. You know, and, and some of the, you think about, you think about some of those environments where trust is lacking and just the, the kind of tomfoolery that has to go on to like cover your bases and make sure the boss doesn't get spun out in on this. It really, I think impacts in a negative way, it impacts the effectiveness of the team because you're, you're focused on the wrong things, right? Instead of focused on like, let's all win together and who cares who gets the credit kind of thing. So yeah. now, now speaking of, you know, kind of speaking about the, the shadow of the leader and, you know, cultivating trust, can you speak about the role of mentorship and the impact it's had on you both as a mentor and a mentee? Yeah, for sure. So um, first, I'll just ground set on two terms that I use, and I like to bifurcate the two, and they go hand in hand and are really critical, I think. Um, they've been really critical for me and my career growth and how I operate. And it's this the definition of a mentor and a sponsor. And it's critical to think about them in kind of two different ways. So first of all, to answer your question, it's been hugely impactful in my life. There's absolutely no way I would have had the career journey that I have, or I'd be in the position that I'm in today without mm -hmm. having some phenomenal, very trusting mentors, and then also sponsors. So for me, a mentor is somebody that knows you really well. They can have a trusting and open and honest conversation around giving you feedback. They see you in action. So they have a feel for how you operate, how you lead, how you work, what your strengths are. Um, and then also those areas that, you know, maybe aren't necessarily your strengths. So they have an in-depth knowledge of you and they've seen you in action and mm -hmm. they provide immediate feedback. Um, some of my best mentors, they, there was a gentleman that I worked with when I was in sales and we, um, I lived in Philly, but we would, he operated out of Cincinnati and we would go to Indianapolis quite often to meet with a client. And in that 80 mile drive from Indianapolis back to Cincinnati, either before or after the customer meeting were our informal mentor sessions. And I never really asked him like, will you be my mentor or not? But when we would come back and, and make the drive to Cincinnati, he'd mm -hmm. be like, all right, so you missed this opportunity in the meeting to sort of, you know, do this follow on work with the customer or, you know, share this capability or really sort of ferret out what we were trying to position ourselves for commercially or from a scope perspective. He would tell me the positives. He was like, you know, I love the way you kind of came in and talked about this. We would talk about how we were working as a team. And mm -hmm. it was so impactful in that just drive home that it really helped me be a better at the time I was a salesperson, a much, much better salesperson. And he wasn't, he was an operations person, right? But he was just giving me that in the moment feedback. I can think of other people in my career that would pick up the phone after maybe like a large audience meeting, especially virtually. And this was a, a woman that I worked for. And she'd be like, you know, Shannon, you really should have like not piped up at that moment, or you could have cut it off here or, you know, but just give me different um, feedback. Or she'll say things like, you know, they opened the door for you and you never walked through it to take the opportunity to express your point of view or, or get your point across. And so I think that's really important that they see you in the flow of work 
-hmm. and just you trust them and they trust that when they give you feedback, you know that it's for your best interest. It's Mm -hmm. harder to mentor people that don't have a little bit of a working knowledge of you, right? Mm-hmm. So there's varying degrees of intimacy of how, how they work with you, but I think that, that that's an important bit. A sponsor is somebody who, who understands your strengths, where you've been in your career, and knows those like 30-second elevator sound bites of what you're trying to accomplish in another role. And mm-hmm. so they, they too have seen you in action. You probably don't leverage them as much to give you like the performance feedback coaching bit, but they, they clearly understand where you're trying to go and they can advocate for you for future roles. And I've had people who have been both a sponsor and a mentor, but I think it's important that you that people recognize that there's two kind of roles when you're thinking about career growth mm-hmm. and putting people in those categories. The last thing I'll say on this is mentors change and sponsors change over time. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so you, you should always keep that pool of people fresh. Just in, in your career trajectory changes what roles you might be doing change. And so you should always be open to refreshing and, you know, bringing people into your circle that, you know, that, that continue to remain relevant for where you're trying, trying to take your career. Mm, Excellent. So I've got a couple of audience questions. If you, uh, if you're game, Our, our first one, it comes from Catherine Wiest of Wisconsin and Catherine asks what skills and competencies do you see being the most important for career growth and success in the digital age? Yeah, I like that. So a couple things. And I was, I was talking to some high school kids last night that are in a STEM club and in chemistry club. And I was mentioning the programming languages that I learned as a child. And none of them, of course, knew any of them. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think it's oftentimes we compute, um, skills as like, I know uh, Python or I know Java, right? So very mm-hmm. sort of hard skills. Mm-hmm. It's really important to think about things as soft skills. And so we, we talk about this a lot at Jacobs are how, what are the complementary soft skills that stand mm-hmm. the test of time? And I think some of those are absolutely being customer centric. I had a role in Jacobs and I, I still do sort of from a from an executive leadership position, but around mm-hmm. enterprise risk management mm-hmm. and in conversations with our board members, this de-risking of an enterprise, and I'll come back to what this means for people in skills, is being mm-hmm. customer centric. And so if we think about customer centricity and um, having agility to innovate, mm-hmm. they go hand in hand in your career growth. So this idea that knowing what customer problems you're trying to solve, how you engage with your client, is really critical. I think that's just important. So always being customer focused will will carry you and win the day. You know, when I think about reading layoffs that are going on right now, where we are from an economic environment and just talking to some of my peers and and other companies, they're like, you know, we hired ahead of demand or we built organizations that weren't really focused on our client, like at the coal face of working with our customer and those are the roles that end up attriting when, when you're financially challenged. So anyway, so I think customer centricity, absolutely critical in the digital age. This idea of being agile and innovative is also critical. And you've got to innovate, not just for the sake of innovation, but innovating to solve a customer problem. Mm-hmm. And innovating as a skill and a capability as a person, it goes back to just basic kind of problem solving or scientific method. What's my hypothesis, right? So I want to try this. I think this is going to be the outcome. Let's give it a go. 
-hmm. let's reflect on it from a continuous improvement perspective and say, you know what, that worked, that didn't work. Okay, great. Now let's try this and move forward. That sort of constant feed feedback and feed forward loop is critical in people. And it's easier said than done to be agile, especially when you get my age, where it's like, I've been there, I've done that. This is what was successful in the past. It's really critical that you use your past experience to inform or help you with future success, but also be completely open-minded that maybe you need to look at it from a very different vantage point. I think the last part, when we think about digital, going back to the beginning of this um, conversation around being you know, time being the, the great resource or, or lack thereof, it's just important to be nimble and agile. And, mm -hmm. and I think also with that is in inclusivity. So really leveraging the collective wisdom of a group and a team and recognizing that you're not the only person that can solve the problem. I think that that means you need to be humble as an individual and learn from others. Um, so constantly learning, being inclusive from a mindset perspective, cognitive diversity in your teams is really critical to think about how we solve problems in new and unique ways. Yeah, no, I love that. And, you know, and honestly, it comes back to what we were talking about with trust and authenticity too, because, you know, if a team, you know, team members have to feel, say, safe, right? That, mm -hmm. that they don't have to know everything or be like uber capable in all disciplines that they can, they can raise their hand and say, well, this isn't a strong suit or I need some help here or this or that. Uh, and that the team will will rally around that, you know, so otherwise you get into those situations where, you know, people are trying to fake it till they make it instead of being honest about shortcomings or whatever, uh, because there's a lack of trust. And so there's a fear that I've got to I've got to present in a certain way as opposed to saying, you know what, there might be a better way for us to tackle this problem. I'm not sure what it is. So I'm, I'm open to ideas. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Our other question uh, from the audience is from uh, Miss Chloe Arnett Spinks of London, and she writes, what benefits can be realized by an organization that focuses on talent enablement? And what are the benefits to an employee who works for such an organization that focuses on talent enablement? Yeah. So, I mean, if we just think about the skills we just talked about, our people are at the coalface of solving problems for our customers, and they are where great ideas are born, incubated, and scaled. And so when an organization thinks about how you activate the collective wisdom of an enterprise, mm -hmm. um, and then an ability to funnel and channel and focus those efforts to drive scale, I think that you can't put a, ham a damper on the growth that can be achieved from that. So. If you think about it, we're not going to executive leaders in companies aren't the ones that solve problems. They help enable it. And it takes the collective wisdom of, of an organization to really think about how we move um, at a faster pace because they're the ones that are solving problems again for our customers right at right at the forefront of any challenges. Mm. Um, I think what makes that exciting for people and we've seen it is we've started to shine a light on the ideas and capabilities across our organization. And then how do we funnel and drive that for exponential organic growth. I mean, that's an exhilarating place to be, I think, um, because you feel valued in what you're doing. You feel heard and it also opens up opportunities. So it is very much like when our people can help us grow as an enterprise, it provides opportunities for our individuals to grow in their own careers. And that symbiotic relationship between the two, um, an organization thriving and people being able to thrive, 
Mm -hmm. I think it makes you unstoppable. And so, you know, putting that focus on on our talent, I, I think is really, you know, really critical and, and I think exciting for organizations and for individuals that want to be part of it. Hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for your time today and, and unpacking the topic of talent enablement with us. You know, there's a, it's great to hear, you know, a leader such as yourself who has had, you know, a variety of career stops in, in various disciplines and, you know, has, has really seen firsthand, like, you know, those things that work and that really help draw out not only, you know, people's best efforts, but their willingness to give their best efforts. So I really uh, appreciate your time today. Oh, well, thank you. I, this is an area that just gets me excited. It's what makes you jump out of bed in the morning. <laughs> if we can get this right and stay in front of it, it just, it's, it, it makes getting out of bed worthwhile, honestly. <laughs> um, and, and you feel like you've accomplished something at the end of the day. And, and that's a great environment to be in. Thank you.